0: Greetings and salutations. Hi. I'm Josh Belcher. Get the super sauce. I'll change into my super suit. <laughs> this is Uncharted.
1: Greetings from this special Thanksgiving edition of the Josh Belcher Uncharted podcast. Uh, what an honor it was to get to speak with Governor Mike Huckabee. He chatted with comedian Brandon Skelton and I, covering topics from uh, recently winning the Charlie Daniels Patriot Award. What a prestigious honor that was. Uh, We discussed Charlie Daniels' legacy, and we talked about the governor's bass playing skills. He is a phenomenal musician, not just as a bass player, but as a uh, study of the people that laid the foundation of the music that he and I thoroughly enjoy. A great conversation. We talk about that, Thanksgiving, and more. That's next. Hope you enjoy it.
0: Here with Governor Mike Huckabee, a a total honor. I've been a fan of yours, uh, Brandon, co-host, and I. Um, First of all, just um, was really proud to know, as being a big Charlie Daniels fan, you got the Patriot Award. wanted to kind of start off with that and uh, how you felt about it
2: well it was such an honor uh first of all charlie daniel is without equal he uh is one of the most patriotic people ever uh the legacy that he leaves behind will actually extend uh lifetimes beyond his own death and you know when i heard the news that he had passed away it was such a shock to all of us we weren't expecting it and um uh, You know, when I attended his funeral, uh, Hazel, his lovely wife, had asked me to speak at the memorial service, and I did. Um, That was an honor. And then to receive from his family, Charlie Jr., and from Miss Hazel, the uh, Patriot Award, uh, touched me deeply because my respect for Charlie is just immense. Um, Over the years, he's been a friend. I first met him when I was governor, and he was doing a big concert in Hot Springs, Arkansas, he invited me to come up on the stage and play with the CDB, and that was an incredible experience. He handed me a bow from his fiddle. Uh, what a treasure! And uh, then through the years, he was on my television show, both at Fox and at TBN. But the thing that I feel like people have to remember about Charlie Daniels is the authenticity of this man. You know, some people who are celebrities they do certain things for charity because uh, everybody needs to do a little something like that. Makes their image look better. Not Charlie. Charlie did this because his passion for veterans and the people who serve our country was as real as anything ever could be. And it was just a joy to be around him and to see how much he truly cared about our veterans. And um, nobody will ever replace him, not only on the stage with his entertainment, but also in terms of what he did beyond the stage for people that couldn't pay him back ever. hmm.
0: Yeah, and one thing, this, this podcast that keeps growing, obviously we've got you on here, but uh, uh, he would always graciously be on it, you know, especially around Veterans Day, and just made you feel like it did not matter what walk of life you're from, just treated you like you were, uh, you know, a genuine person. It always made me feel like a million bucks. And, and like you said, he is the real deal, and heaven got a true uh, all-star the day he decided to take part in it.
2: Well, I was always uh, truly impressed with Charlie's attitude toward his fans. You know, he wrote a book, and it was called uh, Never Look at the Empty Seats, and that really was his philosophy as uh, an entertainer. He didn't go out on the stage and say, okay, this is a 1,200-seat auditorium, and there are 300 empty seats. I'm not going to give it all I got because there's 300 empty seats. No, he would think if there are 900 people here, I'm going to give them the performance of a lifetime and make those 300 people who didn't show up wish they had. Now, to be honest, Charlie rarely played the empty seats. Uh, Most of his shows were sold out. And part of the reason was because of the respect that he had for the people who helped to make him one of the most uh, extraordinary stars in the music business. Uh, But wherever he went, you could see this is a guy who goes out there giving 110%. And it was amazing to me. I mean, he was past 80 years old. And he was going out and doing 200 shows a year. There's some people who are a third of his age that aren't putting out that kind of material.
1: I know,
0: and giving it his all every night, night after night, like you said.
2: A truly great, great American. He loved the country. And something else about Charlie, maybe not everybody knew this, but Charlie's love of God was real. Uh, His Christian faith, his love for Jesus, belief in confidence in the scripture, Um, that wasn't something he just said when it was appropriately uh, favorable to him. He believed it, and he lived it. And being around him, it was one of those things you realize. Here is a guy, his patriotism is real, and his faith is real.
3: Well, Governor, you know, you're bringing up faith. uh, I do want to say as a pastor, I have always just uh, admired uh, your stance uh, for Christian values, biblical principles that, that guided you uh, through your administration, and then, of course, in what you do now and, and continuing on with the show. Uh, hey, I got hooked uh, whenever I read your book, Care to Make Difference, uh, some years back. Also, uh, just recently read uh, God Gun Grits and Gravy. Uh, this is <laughs> a good representation One of my favorites. <laughs> yeah. But I've also. Um, you know as a comedian i i do appreciate the wit that you involve in your show as well I'm, I'm a graduate of the rick roberts school of comedy i know he warms up for you quite often there and um uh, i was uh i was speaking with andy the other day your, your producer and I, I was posting some jokes as a comedian you know just trying to find a way to uh, cope through all this crazy election process i've been posting jokes that's been leading up my friends list more than likely <laughs> and um uh, but I, I presented one. I said, Andy, see if the governor would like to use this one. And I want, I want to I want to present it to you, sir, and to see what you think could okay. be show quality. Uh, <laughs> okay. Just, uh, simply, Biden has created the office of president-elect. That is one more job than was created during the Obama administration.
4: Oh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> bang. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> that, that might be a little
3: edgy for the Huckabee crowd, but I've been to one of the shows, and I, I feel like they might, might die in with that, but um, I was, uh, you know, I went there uh, sometime back, called the episode where you had a Wink Martindale, uh, you had crew oh, yeah. from Duke of the Hazard, I believe James Gregor was that one, or maybe I'm confused on a separate uh, show, but I just want to say you guys do a, just a fantastic job. You got a world-class staff and team there, um, and just kind of Bringing that up, I was just curious, uh, how are you guys kind of navigating through and uh, still continuing with live audience shows uh, right now with all COVID restrictions and things going on?
2: Well, Brandon, it's been a real challenge because uh, with COVID, for the first two months, I guess, we did everything virtually. So we weren't even in the theater. Um, We have such a creative team. They figured out even how that we could do music without being together. And there were times, for example, we, uh, we had a session with uh, Sarah Evans, and she was in Birmingham, sang her track, sent it online. Um, we had some of our, we have a phenomenal band, Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. They're all session players in Nashville, so they, they're just terrific. And they did their parts and sent them in to Trey. I was in Florida and sent my bass track in. Trey put it all together, and if you listen to it, it sounded like we were all in the same place at the same time. We were actually in several different states um, doing it different times, um, but we were playing, of course, to a a click track, which meant we stayed in sync and on on rhythm. But the beautiful thing was it turned out pretty well. Now, having said that, um, it wasn't the same. And all of our guests having to be by Skype or some other type of remote And we finally started going back into the theater in the uh, middle part of May, but we didn't have an audience. And then in June, we started doing an audience. We followed the protocols that we were given by the local health department, and we kept everybody separate. People wore masks. And we reduced the size of the audience by 75%. So since that time, and we're still doing that now, We have a studio audience, but it's only 25% of what we normally would put in the theater. But i got to tell you, and you're a comedian, you understand, playing to an empty room is never the same as having people (laughs) who are responding, whether it's to laughter or to music they like. So we are so glad that even at 25%, we're at least playing to smiling faces and happy people.
3: Oh, yes, sir. And it it does make a difference, Ed. I had a church, because um, I do a lot of church comedy, being a pastor, and they asked me just to put a video together and send to them, so it was just me in an empty room just doing comedy, and one of my friends watched it, and he said, man, great jokes, and you will be well-trained when you tell a joke that no one laughs at because you just did a <laughs> 20-minute silence. <laughs> thing.
2: Yeah, that's kind of cruel, isn't it, you know? <laughs> that's, that's nasty. Uh, uh,
0: well, uh, Governor, he's, he's a funny man, but I'm more of on the musician side, and I think you can absolutely tear up a bass. Uh, i got some questions about that, if that's okay with you. Sure. How how did you get into bass playing? And I love the fact that you jam with a lot of the musicians that come on the show, but when did that become a passion for you?
2: Well, I started uh, playing guitar when I was 11 and picked up the bass at age 12. I would have been a guitar player several years earlier because at age 8, I heard the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. And that was all I needed to decide I wanted to be the fifth Beatle. (laughs) And I begged my parents for a guitar, and they couldn't afford it. And every year for Christmas, for three years, I said, I want an electric guitar. They told me that I couldn't have it because they couldn't afford it. And truth is, they couldn't. But I didn't care. I'm, I'm a kid. I don't care what they can afford. I just wanted a guitar. And they would always ask me what else I wanted, and I'd always give them something else, and I'd always get to something else. The third year, I said, you know, this time I want a guitar. That's all I want. But what else? Nothing. That's it. Here's the story. My parents made a huge sacrifice. They got uh, an electric guitar from the JCPenney catalog. The whole rig, everything, cost $99, and it took my parents a full year to pay for it, little by little, on a monthly basis. They paid that out and got that for me for Christmas. It was life-changing. I played that guitar until my fingers nearly bled. Started playing in little bands and realized that there were several kids my age that were learning to play guitar, but no bass players. Mm -hmm. And so I decided that if I wanted a regular gig, if I could learn to play the bass, I'd probably always have something to do. And uh, fell in love with the bass and and played it since. And uh, I, I have the time of my life getting to play with some of these heroes of mine. The truth is, Josh, you know, I never thought I'd meet these people, much less play music with them. And I do have people say, wow, I saw you play with Willie Nelson or Toby Keith or Leonard Skinner. They'll say, I didn't know you were that good. And I'm honest about it. I say, look, I'm not that good. It's my show. I get to play. (laughs) It's just that simple.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, I I think you're fantastic. I'm a drummer. I can play a little bit of bass, but I've always got the respect first for the rhythm section. And uh, just love you're up there doing your thing. And you're right, I mean, like the same thing with Paul McCartney. If, if you wanted a gig, you know, especially living in the middle of Tennessee the way I do, there's tons of great guitar players, but if you want to stick out, the, the bass and the drums to me is where it's at. Yep. Um, I was going to ask you, you your influences. Uh, I, I'm assuming Paul McCartney, obviously, but uh, who else uh, tickles your fancy when it comes to playing the four-string?
2: Well, James Jamerson, who was part of the Funk Brothers in uh, the early Motown days up in Detroit. What a phenomenal, mm-hmm. innovative guitar player. Most of the people that I really look up to are the the old school guys. I mean, there's people who can do incredible things. I mean, there's nobody like Victor Wooten. I mean, he's in a world of his own, but he didn't play the bass. I don't know what he's doing when he's playing, but it's not even the same thing that the rest of us play in bass play because he's so amazing. But, you know, the people that that I just love to hear because of their innovation, certainly McCartney, but also Mel Shaker from Grand Funk Railroad, and um you know, the Jimi Hendrix experience, um, Mitch Mitchell was another great guitar f- a bass player. And in both Grand Funk and, and Hendrix, you only had three people in the band. Same mm-hmm. thing Jack Bruce playing with Cream. So every person in there had to be extraordinary because they weren't gonna get covered up by six other people. You know, it was a drummer, a guitar player, a bass player. That's it. So um those are some of the great influences, and you know, there are many, many others that I love to listen to, but um, those were, as a kid listening to them, inspired me, to say the least.
0: Yeah, uh, another great one, as you were talking, I was thinking, is uh, Mr. Billy Cox, uh, the band of gypsies with Jimi Hendrix, who happens to live in Nashville. That'd be cool to have him on your show, I think, one day, if he was ever available. I'd
2: love to. You bet. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Well, uh,
3: you bringing up your, your music experience there. Uh, now, you have the band at Capital Offense. Is is there yep. a place, you know, uh, do you guys do live shows still? I mean, is there albums that's out there that our listeners could, could find? I mean, because uh, I, well, I, I've got to hear you play, and I, I just, you know, this yeah. is for listener's sake there.
2: We've got, there, there are some moments on YouTube with uh, the old band. We haven't been together in a long time. It was made up of people that worked for me, mostly in the governor's office. There were a few others that were mostly state employees and, it kind of started as just almost just a group of guys getting together in the basement of the governor's mansion goofing around, and one thing led to another, and we ended up playing the House of Blues in New Orleans, Red Rocks Arena in Denver. Wow. We played two Republican conventions, two presidential inaugurations. We played at the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, I mean, we had some great gigs, and so uh, we opened for everybody from, in fact, we opened for Charlie Daniels, Dion Warwick, uh, Grand Funk, um 38 special uh pretty some amazing moments and you know it was just a fun fun time for all of us
0: that's awesome well not only are you uh, an amazing uh you know governor and uh man of faith but you're a absolute rock star too so i mean you're the triple threat that's fantastic
2: <laughs> well thank you
0: Yes, sir. Uh, uh, I wanted to ask, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up. If we could ask you, uh, what are your plans? And and I'm intrigued to know what you're thankful for this year Uh, with, uh, you know, the pandemic, everything being so uh, rough on us. I'm sure you have something to be grateful for. We'd be enlightened to hear that.
2: Well, certainly grateful. I have six wonderful grandchildren. I'm grateful for them. And we have number seven on the way coming in February. So I'm grateful that we've been able to stay healthy through uh, all of the uh, challenges of COVID. It's been Uh, an extraordinary challenge we've had friends that have been very sick and even a few that have passed away from it so we know it's real we've taken it seriously but we've lived we haven't just shut down our lives and uh you know i'm grateful that i live in a great country that has afforded me the opportunity to live dreams i never could have imagined and um you know so despite covid there's a lot to be grateful for Mm -hmm. absolutely
0: uh, maybe want to say amen. I'm up here jumping up and down in this church right now. Brandon's the pastor of. So, uh, well put. Thank you so much. Well, well I've got a question for you. Um,
3: something that, that anyone that supports and that has followed you any amount of years, we just want to know, uh, will there be a Huckabee run for president in 2024? There it is. There it is. TMZ's well, I
2: it won't be this, Huckabee, I can tell you that. Now, I'm, I'm I'm done being on the ballot. I've I've taken my shots and had a great time at it. Wouldn't trade it for anything in the world, but, you know, there comes a time at which you can only uh, uh, spend out your retirement account to go run for something, and then you need yeah. to replenish it and, and let somebody else have a shot at it. I
0: hear you. Well, Governor, it's been an absolute thrill and honor to speak with you, and uh, we appreciate it so much. And-
1: On this very special Thanksgiving edition of the Josh Belcher Uncharted podcast, we're proud to welcome guest Mark Hall Patton, the beard of knowledge, that guy that answers all the right questions on Pawn Stars. He's also the museum administrator for the Clark County Museum in Nevada. And I happened to stumble across the fact that James K. Polk is his favorite president. Well, in honor of James K. Polk's birthday month of November, I decided to get a hold of Mark and ask him questions about Polk, and he even taught me a thing or two. So let's get on with that interview. Enjoy.
0: So, Mark, um, you know, I, as long as, as long as the rest of everybody in the United States and probably all over the world, recognize you as the beard of knowledge from Pond Stars. But what I really enjoyed, I found out recently, is that you're a fan I live in Columbia, Tennessee, which is the uh, as far as I know, the last remaining home of President Polk, and he is your favorite president, and that intrigued me, and on his birthday month, I just want to say thank you for lending your time and talking a little bit about it with me uh, concerning him, so thank you so much.
4: Yeah, that's not a problem. Happy to do it.
0: So what What about uh, Mr. President, you know, Mr. <laughs> president James Polk, did you, uh, what, I mean, why did you pick him to be your favorite president? It seems you know so much about all of them. What? What made him stand out?
4: Well, the thing I like about Polk is, is he came into office said I will only serve one term, and that's what he did. He he came in, served one term, and and he would have been reelected had I, I truly believe had he chosen to run again. He came in saying I will do four things. He accomplished those, and then he stepped away. Um, now they're they're. Things that you can argue about that he perhaps should have done, that he should have been aware of, that he, you know, should have been aware that that you know slavery was an issue that that was going to tear the com- country apart. It was already being an issue, and that but that wasn't an issue that he was dealing with. He came in with the idea that he wanted to resolve the Oregon Territory um, issue. He wanted to. Uh, Push our, our land boundaries all the way to the Pacific coast and acquire the New Mexico territory in California. He wanted to lower tariff rates and he wanted to create an independent treasury. And he did that. He did that in spite of everything. Um, you know, this is, this is an amazing um, uh, you know, accomplishment for a one term president. And he was really the last of the the strong presidents that we held before the Civil War.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, um,
0: and it was actually interesting that you said that, because that's what fascinated me as well. Um, you know, have you been to the home in Columbia, Tennessee?
4: No, I, I have not. I, I have been to Tennessee a couple of times. I have not had a chance to get to Columbia. Um, you know, it, it, I've, I've traveled all over the country. I, I'm actually a fourth generation orange county californian but i wow. did my graduate work at the university of delaware and you know i've been back and forth across the country my wife and i have traveled a lot but uh, you know it it's one of the downsides of actually having to work for a living you know <laughs> you, you only get a, a certain amount of time to travel and, and um, so no i i have not um i i look at Pope more uh, from an historian's viewpoint, and um, and I was asked. Actually, the the, the question came up um, when my son was starting up his YouTube channel. He has got a, a YouTube channel called Cynical Historian, and uh, he's uh, he 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 asked me the question, and I really had to think about it because you know there there are a lot of very interesting presidents. There's you know. Washington and and Adams and Jefferson and and Lincoln and, you know, Teddy Roosevelt and, you know, people that have made huge differences. But when I really thought about it, you know, Polk is one that a lot of people don't think about. But without him, we would not have the country we have. You know, he was the one with with really a a single-minded vision that said, I am going to complete manifest destiny, and he did it you know, and he did it with you know playing off against the british Empire you know in in order to complete the Oregon territory, you know when he was running for office and and you ran for office in a different way at that point you know he was he he did not intend to run for president he intended to run for vice president yeah when when yeah in 1844 he was hoping that he could get his name in as vice president but the democratic republicans could not come up with somebody you know they'd gone through four rounds of votes to try to come up with a candidate and the the person that was going to nominate him for vice president Said, well, maybe I'll nominate him for president. And on the eighth go round, he was nominated for president, or his his name was put in. And he only got like forty-four votes that time. But on the ninth vote, he came out ahead. And so then it was made by acclamation and he became the candidate. And at that point, you did not um campaign. No, he stayed home in Columbia. And you know, you you it, it was considered beneath you to campaign for president.
0: Wow, so, I did not know that.
4: Yeah, you know, so no, he did not. He did not leave home. He would write letters. He would answer correspondence, and he set out and and said very clearly, "I will only serve one term if elected," and these are my intentions. You know, and he worked with with. Um, uh Tyler, the, the current president, you know, he he had been supporting him um even though he was a Whig, uh to annex Texas. Um, you know, that was not done by um by Polk, that was done by Tyler. Uh he supported it and of course continued with it. Um but you know, that was done on, on Tyler's watch. Um but no, you know, he, he said, and these are the things that I will accomplish if I'm elected. Um, and, and it was a very interesting thing. And when he talked about uh, tariffs, he was very political about that because the North wanted very protective tariffs, very high tariffs, and the South did not. And so, you know, he was saying, well, yes, we need tariffs for income, because that's how we got income for the country at that point. But we could have tariffs to help some internal industries, Um, but we would have to look at that. Um, And the Whigs were after him because they thought he was a dark horse candidate from nowhere and nobody knew who he was, except he'd served seven terms in the House of Representatives, twice as Speaker of the House. You know, and he'd been governor of Tennessee. I mean, this was not an unknown person. Now, you know, he, when he was in the House, he was called Young Hickory because he was the strongest proponent of of Andrew Jackson's policies and, and what Andrew Jackson wanted. He'd been a friend. His family had been friends with Andrew Jackson for generations. You
0: know? yeah. yeah, I knew I knew he'd had that nickname. I don't know exactly how he got it, but, um, you know, it's not the uh, hermitage, except the home of uh, uh Jackson is not but about an hour from me as far as a drive, but of course, you know horse and carriage it was probably a trip, but you know they still wasn't too far away where they could' have been well acquainted with each other oh
4: they and and he often went you know when he was in the campaign long before that when he was in the house, he was considered Jackson's strongest supporter. In the House of Representatives, anything when Jackson was in the presidency, he was in the House. It was it was Andrew Jackson that pushed him for the speakership of the House of Representatives. Um, you know, he was he was one. He was considered a Jacksonian Democrat. He's considered the last Jacksonian Democrat to be president. Um, you know, there was there was a strong friendship Jackson. Uh, a lot of people saw him as the son Andrew Jackson never had. You now that Jackson kind of thought of him that way. Um, so there was there were strong connections there, um, but you you, it, you have to see Knox in terms of himself. He was a, a an extraordinarily uh, hard worker. He worked ten twelve hours a day, every day as president. He did not take vacations. He you know, he 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 thought of himself as the hardest working man in Washington and he did that on purpose. He saw that as the role of a president. He said, If 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 you are in this job, that is what you should be. Mm-hmm. You know? So I see that as, as an extraordinary sort of mindset, you know, that no, go ahead.
0: Yeah, well, you you saying that made me think of a
4: story. Um,
0: I uh, every often, uh if I get an opportunity, I try to discuss President Polk because I am proud that he lives in my hometown. Um, but the last time I discussed him was uh, what what he did to celebrate the Fourth of July. And I went to um, the museum here where Dr. Holstaffel, he used to be the uh, the main curator of the home. He has now since retired, but he told me this, and it blew my mind that. President Polk on July 4th would open his doors and let people just come in freely and discuss things in his office. That just blew my mind.
4: At that point in time, that that would happen. You know, people would allow folks just to come in. I mean, Jackson had done that. Other presidents would do that. It, it it's It's an interesting... It's interesting to look back on that era of our country and recognize how much things have changed and and it has to you know it it you can't do the same kind of access to your president when you have a country of over 300 million people as you can when you have a country of hundreds of thousands you know or or a few million or you know it just becomes untenable and you know, Andrew Jackson, you have to remember, this was a man who would go walking by himself. He was walking back from a funeral, and a man tried to assassinate him. And he pulled out a single-shot Berringer, a pistol, shot at him. The derringer didn't go off. He pulled out a second one. It didn't go off. And Jackson almost beat him to death with his cane. You know, this is the President of the United States, and he starts whacking on him with his cane. Yeah. You know, this is a different time period, you know, you, you can't do that today, you know, but this was also a time period when you would have people, you know, saying, yes, I will open my doors, I will meet with you, as late as Lincoln, people could come in and actually meet with Lincoln, now he didn't just open his doors to everyone, you had to to get through the the secretaries and that, but you could still come in and meet the president. Can you imagine that today? I know. I
0: know that's, I that's why it's why? Just fascinating because you know I, I never thought about it in that context. But you know, uh, you know, in that period, a president you could just see him walking down the street, like, oh, you know, he's heading to the theater, he's heading to the whatever, and you know, there he is, just available for you right there.
4: Yeah, and and it. The, we we change as we have to. You know, it's it's not that, you know, the people who are in the presidency and and these offices today aren't like that. You know, when when Harry Reid was the the um, uh, leader of the U.S. Senate, I met him at a at a centennial celebration in Searchlight, Nevada. He was in a parade that I was marching in. Uh, with a local historical group uh, that I'm a part of here. And he was just riding in an open car. Searchlight's a little tiny town, but it's the town he grew up in. And I walked over and shook his hand and said hello to him. You know, it's no big deal. And this is, you know, one of the most powerful politicians in the United States, you know. And, and so it still can happen depending on where you are. You know, I had the governor of the state one time here come over and introduce himself because he'd seen me on television. He knew who I was. I was the local museum director. Okay, you know.
0: That's so it's very,
4: very neat, though. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting off the subject, though.
0: Well, no, no, it, it's fine. I mean, uh, that's why I call this the you know, Uncharted Podcast because we go all different directions. But, um, you know, speaking of Pawn Stars, which is still to this day uh, one of my favorite things on Earth, if I do sit and watch television, but um, it seems uh, in current times you are the the OG as they would call it, the the last of the originals. You're still on there. I haven't seen anybody else in a while.
4: Well, I've I have done over 200 appearances. I just did my 200th a couple of well about a month ago. Um, we're we're still filming. We're filming the 18th season. It just started uh, last week, I think. Uh, but we're still filming episodes. Um and yeah, I mean I've been around since I did one of the pilots back in two thousand and nine when when this thing first started. Um you know it it's it's interesting. I had at the time I was doing a live television show on our local cable access for the county's Centennial and I've done, you know, television appearances, you know, just as the local museum director all over the country, you know, for years, just, you know, the, something historic happened or, you know, there's a question, you know, you need some somebody to say something about history, yes, call the museum guy. Um, yeah. But this thing, I got a call out of the blue and, and they said, you know, can you look at a West Point uniform coat and tell us whether it's real? And I said, yeah. And they said, can you do it on camera? And I said, yeah. And they said, can you tell us what it's worth? I said, no. And, you know, and, they, and they said, well, let us tell you what this show is going to be about. And they told me, you know, the concept of the show. And I'm going, yeah, right. Somebody's going to watch this thing. Yeah. And um, so I'm really bad with prognostication. And um, they said, well, we'll try you anyways. I said, fine, try away. Um you know, and, and uh, I guess I worked out because I've never given them a price, but I've been on more than anybody else. And, you know, I like the guys. I, I, you know, as, as we've done this over the years, we've gotten to be friends. And, you know, they they have no idea what I'm going to say when I show up. So, yeah. you know, I always do my own research, you know, and they they get what they get.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's by far one of my uh, favorite parts of the show is when when they call you in because the beard of knowledge you, you get a, you get something you get educated on whatever whatever's brought in there. Um which comes to my next point, have you ever examined something that, that Polk had signed or was a part of? Has anybody ever bought anything in at long I
4: think we had I'm trying to think whether it was a poster. I think there was something related to Polk at one time. I, I, you have to understand. I'd have to go back and check my list. I, I keep a running list of of everything I've looked at, but you know, when it's been over two hundred items over the last twelve years, I don't I don't remember everything off the, yeah. off the top of my head. You know, I've I've dealt with stuff related to Polk, uh, you know, signed documents and that sort of thing, um, but uh, you know, uh, having having run museums for over forty three years now. Um, I've looked at millions of items and uh, I don't remember all of them. I'm sorry to say.
0: Absolutely. Um, yeah, I could totally do that. um the other thought I had, have they approached you about hosting Jeopardy because they're going to need a new host and you that. like <laughs> No, they have not.
4: I don't even have a SAG card. I couldn't do that. <laughs>
0: Oh, is that what it takes? I, I didn't know. I'm, I'm out of the loop on that one. <laughs> yeah.
4: No, 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 no. I'm I'm not i yeah, no, I'm not in that kind of a loop. <laughs> okay, I, I just
0: I just because because they had mentioned LeBar Burton and I was like, no, I know one it would be way better than that. But um let me ask you this. There uh, you know, it's been going on for years, probably longer than I could count, but um the capital, the state capital of Tennessee is where Polk and his wife were buried, uh, Sarah. Because he doesn't have a home there that's demolished, and they're wanting to move him to this Columbia home because I was told and I've read that he wanted to be buried on uh, one of his estates. Um, do you think they should um, uproot him again and, and, and move him from Nashville to Columbia? Because, I mean, it's a continuous battle, but that is the end game um, from the uh, spokespeople
4: that are here in Columbia, Tennessee. They want to bring him uh, to this home and bury him you know i would not i wouldn't say one way or the other i'm not part of that conversation you know he yeah. when where he wanted to be buried was on polk, the the polk house that's mm-hmm. gone yes yeah. so now it's it's uh, i'll let people back there argue about that i gotcha. you know. yeah, I, I don't
0: have a dogfight either they called
4: i was just curious because
0: it seems like every couple of years it it's brought back up um but, you know, the house, or whether he stays there or comes here, it's really nice standing on its own because when you walk in, they show you these two paintings side by side. It shows before he, right before he went into office, dark hair, and then when he came out, like snow, gray, salt and pepper, white hair, I guess from the stress of being president. And that's one of the things that fascinates me the most when you
4: go on that tour. Well, I'll tell you, when I was, I oh, I was probably 12, 13, something like that, I remember the first time that I saw an article in in the newspaper, and I was already a history geek in that at that point, but there was an article that that compared before and after photographs of our last three or four presidents at that point. And, And I'm 66 at this point, so this was a number of years ago. But all of them, if you looked at the before and after, when they came into office and when they left office, you could see the stress it it their their hair had gone white or gray and 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 you looked at their faces being president is not an easy job it it just it takes a toll um and every one of them you could see what it had done to them um you know it's it's something that um you know you saw it in in Um, I remember it it was Hoover, it was Eisenhower, um, Kennedy, unfortunately, because of the assassination, it didn't show as much, Um, Johnson,
1: um,
4: and I don't remember whether Nixon was part of that, probably Nixon, Uh, but all of them just looked like they were haggard at the end of it, Um, and, and the same thing with Polk, and If you look at him, he was only 53 when he died. You know, he was not an old man. Um, But, and he probably died of cholera. You know, it it wasn't that he had been, I mean, he'd been sickly as a child. And this was somebody who had been sickly and had had to have surgery for urinary stones Mm. as as a child. Now, at that point, this is there's there's no anesthesia you got brandy if anything oh my gosh you know so uh, you know and and he was he i think the surgery was in murphy's for, for all, or i'm not yes. sure if that's the correct pronunciation that's exactly
0: that's, exact, that's where mcsu the college is murphy bro, yeah
4: oh okay and i think that was where the, the surgery was his his father had taken him he was going to take him to um uh philadelphia um but he couldn't make it that far. He was in too much pain. But if you can imagine <laughs> here's, here's basically um I think he was in his teens at that point, young teens, you know, but a, a you know, a child and getting surgery, you know, in Tennessee at that point in time, and yet he survived it and went on to do as much as he did. It's it's he he had a remarkable constitution but it was also probably why he never had any any children. You know, it's probably uh, was why he was sterile. Yep, I mean that
0: makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I didn't know that story and that's why I, I knew that I would come away learning something from you. You I've learned more from you. You're one of the only people I have never met up until I talked to you on the phone, I've learned so much from You, you and Mr Rogers. <laughs> uh, after the, the times of people that teach me things, and I didn't know wasn't aware that he had that surgery. I, I did know you know they didn't have children, and uh, Sarah, which is um, you know, she had her own fascinating life, but she wore black until her death, you know, in honor of the president. But she adopted, I believe, it was her sister's daughter. And she's the reason they have the Polk Foundation, and this house is, you know, kind of thriving today, because I knew she did a doctorate as far as I know, but, you know, and continues a legacy in that form, but no children, but I never, I never knew why.
4: Yep, and, and they don't know that for sure, but that's that's one of the the, the possibilities that that has been bandied about because of that, that surgery, and, you know, it he, he survived it. That was the main thing, and he actually got better after it, but... You know, this is this is uh, a, a man who, and, and it's interesting because there's there's a number of um, accounts of how much after his marriage to Sarah, because Sarah was about nine years younger than him. Uh, they were they they weren't they were both in their twenties, but but she was twenty. He was I think twenty nine when they got married. Um, but they they she was much more. He was well-educated for for a woman at that time. She'd gone to school for girls and all of that. And she was um, a much more vivacious individual. He was kind of um, door in his style. He didn't like small talk. He was not good at it. Um, But she would do the parties and that sort of thing and uh, uh, help him, you know, to, to... do the social needs of when he was governor and when he was in the the u.s house and when he was president you know she was very much a part of his uh political successes you know after they got married you know so that was she was uh, very important in his life and he loved her you know and the the great apocryphal story is that his his um his uh, final words were that I, I will love you forever, um, Sarah. You know that he was speaking to her. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's, that's
0: romantic. You don't you don't hear too much romanticism uh, like that anymore. That's cool. Um, yeah. and, and and I couldn't help but I thought about this, and, I, and I'm throwing it in. and It's not you know my political opinion or anything, but how you were talking about all the presidents you saw that went you know to completely salt and pepper hair, or white hair, or gray hair from stress. Um, it couldn't. I couldn't help but think that, that Trump is going to leave, but he's going to be orange still. <laughs> you know,
4: he's, he's yeah, well, yeah, that's that's because of the that that stuff that he that he takes for it. Yeah, and, and yeah, that works, you know. And and Biden's not going to have to worry about it because he's already white. So that's, uh, that's
0: right. I was just thinking he, he came in orange and he's leaving like he just loves uh, you know beta carotene or whatever, but. Uh, uh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, hey, I, I appreciate you being generous with your time. It means a lot. I've been a fan forever, and, and you're just as nice as you are on television. And
4: uh, Well, thank you.
0: If I ever get to come to uh, Nevada, one of the states I haven't been blessed to visit, I will come to that museum, and hopefully I can geek out on you and maybe take a picture if the world ever opens back up.
4: <laughs> I, I certainly hope that you will, and, and we will. Uh, just, just understand that pandemics are something that happen. We get through them. We just have to be a little patient. Um, you know that's that's one of those things. Uh, this is this is unfortunate. It's it is real. Don't don't let anybody tell you it isn't. It's not the Spanish flu. We're not in the hundreds of millions dead. You know, but it's still not something that you want to get. And uh, so you know, wear your mask, do the right things, stay socially distanced, do all of that sort of thing. Don't be foolish about it. But it will reopen. We will get through this. You know, that, 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 yeah, it's one of the things I always find myself, you know, when when somebody says, "Well, do you think this is real?" Yes, it's real. Don't be foolish. Come on. <laughs> um, that, that, but you know, I've I've I was aware, you know, I've, I've been an historian all of my life. I've dealt with all kinds of different things. I'm an omnivore. I read everything. You know, <laughs> I'm reading about an archaeologist who was a spy for the U.S. in World War One in Central America right now. Because he used to, he he wrote one of the first big books on covered bridges in California, and so I'd known about that part of his history. I never knew about him being a spy. And I'm, I'll read about just about anything. You know, it's fun.
0: knowledge something they can never take away from me, so that's always good.
4: Hmm.
1: thank you very, very much for tuning in to this Thanksgiving edition podcast. You could be doing anything with anyone who chose to hang out with me, and I am truly grateful. I want to thank you for making the podcast a dream and a possibility uh, to, uh, you know, have an outlet, have something to look forward to. So I thank you for granting me that privilege, and I'll never take it for granted. Special thanks to our guest, Governor Mike Huckabee and Mark Hall Patton, AKA the Beard of Knowledge from Pond Stars. Also, special shout out to guest co host, comedian Brandon Skelton, for putting his two cents on our Huckabee interview. Hope you enjoyed that. And I uh, just want to let you know if you know anybody you think might be a good guest, have them hit me up as always, Belcher at hotmail.com. Now, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving feast with people that you love or if you just want to be alone that's okay too but anyway i want you to know no matter what i love you for you and where you're at in life so have a great holiday weekend enjoy yourselves don't eat too much don't shop too much and let's get ready for hopefully a somewhat tolerable and happy holiday christmas uh, hanukkah whatever you celebrate season okay i'll catch you next time all right bye